Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open up your Bibles to the book of Philemon. We're going to finish what we uh, started last week. We kind of set the uh, stage for uh, the book of Philemon. Kind of got the setting and began talking about uh, his appeal last week. And so we're going to finish that this week. I'm going to read the whole letter again. I know we did that last week, but I want to read it again because I think we need to get the full context of it. And then we're going to have a brief review because what we said last week matters for this week. And then we'll move ahead into some new, really cool stuff today, okay? If you'd like to stand, you can stand, and I'm going to read the whole letter of Philemon. Whole letter to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. And no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, thank you for this beautiful letter of reconciliation and forgiveness and a gospel appeal. Father, I, I ask you to give us a hearts that treasure the gospel today. Give us hearts that rejoice to see all that you've done for us. And God, make us the kind of people who want to be like that, who want to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so let's run through the players a little bit. So this is all going to be a review, okay? So uh, real quick, who are we dealing with here? Well, we got Philemon, okay? Who is Philemon? Well, he is a generous, godly believer who hosts a church in his home in Colossae, okay? He is probably a wealthy guy, and he does own slaves. Er, 
church, there's where we kind of crash, right? Because that's so foreign to our mindset. It's hard for us to get our head around that. What we need to understand is that slavery was incredibly common in the Roman Empire. In fact, many estimates say half the population of the Roman Empire was slaves. Some estimates say in the neighborhood of 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. There was no certain race. This is what's different than uh, American slavery a couple hundred years ago, was there was no certain race that was enslaved, but rather... There were prisoners of war, so countries were battling continually. The Roman Empire was taking over country after country, and many of those who lost on the battlefield might be enslaved for a certain period of time. There were criminals who had committed a crime, and instead of prison, they would become slaves in order to pay their debt. And then there were those who went into bankruptcy. There were those who couldn't pay a debt. There were those who extended themselves and, for whatever reason, got into financial ruin, and a way out of that for them was to become a slave for a certain period of time so you would sell yourself into slavery the guy who bought you would actually pay your debts so you're you're not you know you don't owe people any more money but you are a slave for a certain period of time onesimus was one of those guys okay onesimus was philemon's slave for whatever reason we don't know how he became a slave but he was a slave uh, he probably was an educated slave. Uh, slaves in that day were managers and teachers and accountants and just all kinds of things, field workers, house help. They were all kinds of things depending on their level of education. We kind of think that Onesimus was an educated guy because of how useful he was to the Apostle Paul in prison. So when Paul talks about him being useful, it probably was in the realm of, you know, some sort of uh, secretary or manager or something. Um, because obviously Paul's in prison, so he doesn't have a field or anything like that to cultivate. And so that's probably why, why we think that he, he was an educated guy. And so what happens? Well, Onesimus, one night, says, I'm not going to take it anymore. Whatever, he gets disgruntled, he gets whatever, there's a conflict, we don't know. But he sneaks into the office at night, opens the safe up, and cleans it out. How do we know that? Because it says he owes a debt here. He had taken something from Philemon. Probably if a slave is going to make it very far in his running, he needs money. He needs capital. And so he steals from Philemon and takes off. And so Philemon probably wakes up one morning, note on the mirror, see you later, uh, goes into his office, he's been robbed. Uh, how much of a hit would that be to Philemon? Well, again, we don't know exactly for sure, but from history, what it tells us, if, if he was an educated slave, and if you would put that in today's money, it may have been something like fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 that Philemon had paid for Onesimus. So he's out that money. How much did he steal from him? I don't know, you know. Uh, last week, we just kind of put a guess on it just for the st standpoint of having something in our head. But let's say he stole 25000 So maybe there's this huge financial burden that's been laid on Philemon having lost $75,000. I don't know about you guys, but how many of you guys could lose $75,000 and that not be a problem, right? That's probably going to be a problem. And so it was probably a problem for Philemon and his family. So Onesimus runs away. Where does he run? If you're going to hide, you go somewhere where you can disappear, right? So he goes to the largest metropolitan area on earth, which is Rome. Now, somehow he runs into the Apostle Paul. How'd that happen? Man, there's so much about this story I wish we knew. We don't know. You know what I hope happened? I hope that he got convicted. I hope that he had heard the gospel over and over again in Philemon's home, because remember the church met there? I hope he got convicted. He got convicted about his sin, about righteousness, about salvation. Maybe he was disillusioned, and he sought out Paul However that happened, he meets Paul, they, he gets saved, he hears the gospel, he's transformed, he's a changed man, he's born again. Paul disciples him, and now both of these guys got a hard thing to do, okay? 
Onesimus, what's his hard thing? He's got to go back, right? He's got to make this right. He's stolen from somebody. He's ran away. He, he's got to do the right thing as a believer. He's got to go back. Philemon, he's got to do a hard thing. That's why Paul writes this letter. He needs to forgive him. He needs to wipe the slate clean. He needs to embrace him as a brother, and Paul's going to lead him to, he needs to maybe free him and then let him come and serve Paul for the sake of the gospel. Okay, He needs to not only lose that 75 grand, give it away now for the sake of the gospel. So that, that's where we're going this morning in the book of Philemon. So what's Paul doing here? He's going to appeal to these guys, particularly to Philemon, in order to receive and make reconciliation and make things right. Now, you'll notice in verse 8, he says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do as required, verse 9 says, Yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. That, that's what this letter is. It's an appeal. And what is an appeal? It's an interesting word. It's the word for, uh, actually it's used for the Holy Spirit in, in the Bible at times. It is the word perikaleo. Okay? And it literally means to come alongside somebody, right? So you see somebody struggling. This ever happened? You see somebody struggling, and you come in, and you come to their side, and you help them, right? So what does Paul know? Paul knows that Philemon's going to struggle to forgive, right? He knows that Onesimus is going to struggle to make things right. And so what does Paul do? Paul sees two Christian brothers struggling. He runs over. He comes to their side. He appeals to them. He says, he says I could command it. He could, right? He could have just said, hey, I'm an apostle, and I'm telling you, do this. All right? But you know why he doesn't want to do that? Because God doesn't operate that way. If you're here this morning, and the reason you're here is because you feel like you had to come. You woke up this morning, your alarm went off, and you said, it is church. Oh, no. You know? If that's what you said, I mean, I mean God is shooting for something different than that, right? Like, like I'm glad you're here. That's, that's cool. But that's really not what God wants. God wants your heart to change so that you don't have a have-to religion. You have a want-to religion. And so as he appeals to Philemon, that's what he's doing. He's saying, I, I could command you to do this. I'm not going to. I'm going to come alongside, and I'm going to try to help you get your heart to where you want to do the right thing, which is to forgive this guy. So Paul is aiming at the heart. And guys, if, if we're going to be in spiritual friendships, if we're going to disciple our kids, if we're going to be in a small group, man, we got to learn to do this. You know why? Because is it ever true that your spouse, your son, your daughter, your friend, your small group, are those people ever going to have hard things to do in the faith? Yes, they are, right? Are they going to be wronged? Are they going to be hurt? Are they going to put in, be put into bad situations? Yes, 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 right? And so Paul is teaching us here. You, the Bible is giving us an example of how to come alongside people and help them to do the right thing. So how did he do that? So last week we had just started that, okay? So the things we looked at last week was, first of all, Paul affirmed Philemon's faith. Why does he do that? Why in verse 4, 5, 6, and 7 does he talk about Philemon's faith, about his love, about how he's refreshed the saints? You know why? Because he is reminding Philemon of who he is. He's reminding him of his identity. You know what's true about you when you're angry? You're not yourself, right? 
You're not yourself. You're somebody else, you know. You got veins all of a sudden, you know. You're a really attractive person, but when you're angry, you got these bulging veins with a heartbeat in them. And your, your head, you got one that goes across your head, and you're red, and you don't sound the same, and you're, you're just, you're not yourself, right? And what do you need to do? What do you need to happen then? You need to be reminded that, whoa, 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 you're not that person. You are connected to Jesus Christ. You are a believer. You are someone who has loved the saints. You are someone who's refreshed other people in the Lord. That's who you are. Now be that person, right? So he affirms Philemon, first of all, hey, remember who you are. And then he prays for him. And he prays that Philemon would so experience the fellowship of other believers that he would know more and more and more the riches that he himself has in Christ. And then thirdly, what does he do? He introduces Onesimus. Who is this guy? This is the thief, right? This is the guy who cleaned out the safe. This is the guy who left us in alerts. This is the guy who betrayed our family. Is that how Paul introduces him? Nope. How's he introducing him? My son. Now, he's not Paul's biological son, but he is his spiritual son, right? So what's he saying? Let me introduce to you to the new Onesimus. To the man who's been joined to Jesus, to the man who's repented of his sins, to the man who's a new creature in Christ Jesus, to the man who is my spiritual son in the faith. And then finally, last week, Paul introduced himself. How does he introduce himself? Well, remember, we, we thought, thought this was a little odd. Two times in this letter, he refers to himself, this is in verse 9, as an old man and a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Why, why does he introduce, after he's made all these introductions, he's affirmed who Philemon is, introduced the new Onesimus, and now he says, and I, Paul, a prisoner. You know why? He, it's a subtle reminder that we've all got to do hard things in the Lord, right? Paul was doing hard things for Jesus. You know what his hard thing was? His hard thing was being in a Roman prison cell chained to a Roman soldier. That's what his hard thing is. That kind of makes my hard things look less hard, you know? And sometimes we need that, right? We need to remember when we got this thing in front of us and we're like, why me? Why do I? Yeah, sometimes we need to be remembered that, you know what? All believers are going to face their hard things. So that was, yes, last week, okay? You're like, why didn't you do that last week? We could add a 10-minute sermon, right? If they've, you know, that's a quick review, okay? It's a good point. It's too late, though. We can't look back. All right, so let's move on to some really good stuff here, all right? We're moving on to, I think, what is the best thing about this book, about this little little book of Philemon, and that is how Paul very skillfully plants the gospel right in the middle of a big mess. Have you ever had a big mess in your life? You ever had a big mess in your family? Like, just a mess, you know? Like, you got this complicated situation where this person hurt this person's feelings, and there's money at stake here, and there's a relationship divide, and there's an in-law, and there's a, you know, and it's just this tangled bunch of yuck, okay? That's what Paul's got here, you know? He's got, he's got slavery, that's bad. He's got theft, that's bad. He's got law-breaking, he's got anger, he's got unforgiveness. He's got a big mess, and so what does he do? He does what we need to learn to do. He skillfully puts the gospel right in the middle, okay? It's beautiful. Now, now, what I love about that is Paul is a guy who profoundly loved the gospel. He loved it. He believed it. And he lived it, okay? Now, see, there's a problem. Listen, there's a problem with you if you say, I love the gospel, but I will not live the gospel. That, 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 that just doesn't mesh. All right? If you're a person that says, I love Jesus. He's the best thing ever. I love what he did for me on the cross. 
but I'm not going to do anything like that for anybody else. There's a problem with that. There's a problem with not living the gospel if you claim to love the gospel. There's something wrong with you saying, I'm an offender, I'm a sinner, I'm a transgressor. That's what you say if you love the gospel. I'm a rebel deserving death, but God sent his son Jesus Christ to be my rescuer and he freely paid the penalty for my sins so that I could be joined to his resurrection life forever and ever. But I'm going to live my life making everybody pay everything they owe me. You see how that's a little strange? In fact, Jesus said it's bad, strange, okay? In Matthew 18, he tells this parable of this guy who owes $10 million, whatever, astronomical debt. He can't pay it. So he falls down before the king, begs for mercy. You know what the king does? The king says, you're forgiven. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Owen? 10 minutes ago, you owed $10 million that you couldn't pay. Now you owe zero. Like zero, debt-free. Wow! But he goes down the stairs and he sees a buddy who borrowed 20 bucks a couple weeks ago and hadn't paid it. He's been taking MMA classes. So he goes over there, does a figure four around his head, slams him to the ground, puts him in one of those arm bars. Peggy knows all about this. Don't mess with Peggy, you know. She's, I, I, I was with her one time at one of those matches. It was, it was, Peggy? Anyway, gets one of those arm bars, you know, where they're going to break, you know, and he's like, pay it up, pay it up. And the guy's like, I can't, I got no habit. Snaps his arm, you know, grabs him, takes him to the prison, throws him in there until you pay the 20 bucks. The king calls that guy back up. He had to be shaking his head, didn't he? He's like, what in the world? I just forgave you $10 million. See, there's a problem there, isn't there? There's a problem with someone who claims to have embraced what Jesus has done for us, but yet does not live it out in any way. Well, Paul's not one of those guys. Paul lives it out. In fact, he it's beautiful. Okay, if you love literature, if you love to read good books, this is a skillful masterpiece of weaving the gospel into a really messy situation. All right, so let's, let's look at it, okay? I'm excited. So I clap when I'm excited. Yeah. All right, let's look at it, all right? So number one, first thing, this is new stuff, okay? Paul appeals to Philemon to receive, to receive Onesimus as he would receive Paul. Okay? Essentially what he's saying is, when that door, there's a knock on the door, it opens up, Philemon opens the door, there's Onesimus, there's the betrayer, there's the thief, there's the liar, there's the swindler, right there he is. What Paul says Philemon should do is that he should treat Onesimus exactly like he would treat Paul, who's his best buddy, who he loves, who he respects. Now, okay, there's going to be several of these moments in the sermon. If that is like the weirdest thing you ever heard, it's probably because you haven't embraced the gospel. Because actually, okay, so from a worldly standpoint, is it weird to treat one guy in a way he completely doesn't deserve for the sake of another guy? That's weird to the world. That never happens anywhere else. Never. But it happens in the Bible all the time. You know why? Because it's a picture of the gospel. That's exactly... You, you, know, you know how I'm treated? I am treated not based on what I have done, not based on my merit, not based on... I'm treated 
by God the Father, I'm treated the way he treats Jesus. I'm treated for Jesus' sake. Now, it's not strange, even if you've read your Bible very much, okay? There's all kinds of passages in the Bible that are this picture, this very picture, okay? My favorite one, I'll just go to my favorite, is the story of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9. All right, I'm going to tell it to you real quick, all right? This is going to be a day of telling quick stories, all right? So here's what happens, okay? David's a shepherd boy, Saul is king. Saul gets jealous of David, hates him. Tries to kill him, throws a spear at him several times, misses, fortunately, misses in an attempted murder, okay? David has to flee. Saul chases him. Saul murders anybody who will help David. Can you imagine? Your friends are murdered. Your family, anybody who will help you is murdered by Saul. This is horrific. He chases David into the wilderness. David has to live in the rocks and the caves for years. But Saul has a son, Jonathan who is incredibly loyal to David, who is the picture of friendship. Well, as would happen, Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle. Actually, Saul takes his own life after he's wounded in battle. Jonathan is killed in battle, and David becomes king. Now, what do you think David's first thing, or not, not first thing, but what do you think one of the first things that David does? Let me read it to you. This is 2 Samuel 9, 1. This is as David sits on the throne of Israel. He says, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? And then this beautiful phrase, you see it? For Jonathan's sake. You see that? He says, is there anybody else in Saul's family? That wicked, murderous guy who killed my friends and family. Is there anybody in his family left? And everybody said, well, there's one guy, Mephibosheth. He was just a baby when, when his grandpa and his dad died in battle. His nurse was running down the stairs because they had to flee the city. And she tripped. And she landed on him and mangled his legs. He's never been the same. He's a cripple. He lives way out in the desert, hiding. David's like, go get him. They go and get him. They bring him in. He drops to his face. Says, what do you, what, what, what do you want with a dead dog like me? He thinks this is it. David's going to execute him. David's like, no, 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 no. Come here. Come here. Get up. I'm going to give you all your father's lands. You, you had nothing today. You're a rich man. Here's all. The, I had my, my, my secretaries prepare all this. Here's all the contracts. You own all that land now. Man, and you own all these servants. And they're going to serve you and take care of you. But don't worry about any of that. Because you're going to live here at the palace. And you're going to eat at my table with my sons. Why? For Jonathan's sake. He's treating him like he would treat Jonathan. It's a picture of the gospel. Jesus, God treats you for Jesus' sake. Now, let's go one step further. You're actually commanded to do this. In Matthew 25, at the, at the judgment day, when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, the believers from the unbelievers... He says to the believers, he says to them, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous gave me, Lord, when did that ever happen? We don't ever remember seeing you. And then he says this, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus says, 
you should treat the least of me, my brothers, like you would treat me. And I receive it that way. That's what he's saying. So do you see what I'm saying? This, this seems strange at first that Paul is saying, when he opens the door, you, my heart's in him. When he opens the door, that's, it's me. Receive him. Embrace him as you would me. We're like, that's the strangest thing I ever heard, Paul. Not really. Not really, because if you're a Christian, it, it is the way that we live. We live having embraced that God treats us as he does Jesus. Next, Paul is appealing to Philemon to see the hand of God working even through those who hurt us. So they've had a bad thing happen. They've got a mess here, okay? But what, what Paul wants Philemon to do is he said, Philemon, I want you to look beyond the mess. I want you to lift your eyes up, and I want you to see what God does through messes. Think about this. Actually, let's read the verses first. All right, so um, where am I here? Verse 11, 15, and 16. Verse 11, he says, Formerly, he, meaning Onesimus, by the way, Onesimus' name means useful. So Paul's doing a little clever play here, okay? He says, Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you, okay? And to me. And then in verse 15, For this, perhaps, is why... So the why is an interesting word there. Why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and the, in the Lord. What, what, what's, he, what's he saying here? He's saying, look at what God did. I know this was a bad thing, Philemon. I know he stole from you. I know he ran away. But guess what? Guess what that led to? His salvation. Now, he used to be useless. Right? He couldn't do anything for God. He couldn't do anything in the kingdom. He was a lost man. Not only that, but he was probably kind of useless to even to Philemon. I mean, obviously, I don't know that you can trust a guy that steals you know, $25,000 out of your safe at night and runs away. Right? So he was useless before, but now he's changed. Paul is saying, look at what God did, even through this bad thing. Whenever you're hurt, you tend to only look at the bad, right? We tend to not ever raise our eyes up and say, what could God do even through this tough thing? What's the worst thing that's ever happened in the world? Very worst thing, most tragic thing, most offensive thing, most unjust, unjust, horrific thing that's ever happened. I can tell you what it is. It is the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of the world, the giver of every good gift, the sustainer of all life on planet Earth, the righteous, the holy one. He was slandered and falsely accused he was mocked and beaten and brutalized and crucified on a cross that is horrific and yet what did God do through that he saved your soul forever now can God not do good things out of bad I think he can and I think this helps us forgive in Genesis we find a story of a bunch of brothers okay uh, you probably had brothers, and your brothers were probably mean to you because that's normally what brothers do, right? Put ants in your bed, spit in your soup, whatever, you know. Brothers do stuff like that. You may still be a little chapped about it. But let me tell you about Joseph. Joseph had brothers, and what they did was they took him, and they threw him in a pit, and they sold him into slavery, into Egypt, and they uh, staged his own death, and they convinced his father that he had been killed by a wild animal, and he was no more. Now, that's kind of mean isn't it? 
And it all comes around where those same brothers that thought that they were getting rid of him end up bowing before him in Egypt, desperately needing his help. And here's what he says. How's, how, how are you able to forgive in that kind of situation? Well, let me show you. Genesis 15, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do you see what Joseph said? Joseph said, I'm able to forgive because I see the bigger picture. You know, what is Paul telling Philemon? He's saying, you ought to be able to forgive because you can see the bigger picture. This guy before was useless. Now he's useful through the offense, through the hard thing that happened to your family. This guy is now useful in the Lord. This guy is now a kingdom-minded man. This guy is now serving me in the gospel. You lost him temporarily for a year or two years, however long it was. But now you've got him back forever as a brother in Christ. He's appealing to Philemon to set his mind on things above. All right, third. In, in this gospel stuff, you see what Paul's doing? He's weaving the gospel right in the middle of a huge mess, okay? And this, this, is, the most, this is the most important one. Thirdly, Paul says, put the offense on my account. Look at verses 18, 19, and 20. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. All right, now, what, what's, what's, what's Paul doing here? Again, he's got a mess. He's putting the gospel right in the middle of it. Now, if you don't know the gospel, if you don't know the good news of what God has done for his people through the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross, this does not make any sense. How can you put somebody else's crime on somebody else's account? Like, like we think, well, that's, that's not right. Paul did not offend Philemon. Paul didn't do anything but be gracious and good to Philemon. Paul did not steal from Philemon. Paul did not run away from Philemon. Paul did not break the law. But yet Paul says, I will pay the price. Now again, that makes no sense if you're, if you're not a person who loves the gospel. But if you're a person who loves the gospel, guess what? You owe a debt that you cannot pay. Not only can you not pay, but by very nature of you being a Christian, you've said, I'm not going to try to pay it. Right? Like if you're, if you're in here today and you're still trying to pay your debt, man, good luck. You're going to be doing it in hell. Let me just tell you that. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to try now, try your best your whole life, and you're going to try all the way to hell because you can't pay your debt. The only way for you to be right with God is for you to embrace what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross and that he would pay your debt. All right? So it's not strange for Paul to say to Philemon, whatever he owes, whatever's in your heart that you can't forgive and you can't get over the amount of money, I'll pay it. Now, the big question that people always ask is this. Is Paul really going to pay it? I've heard people ask that question. Is he, is he really going to pay it, okay? Or is he just counting on that Philemon's going to do the right thing here and forgive? Well, I think he is counting that Philemon's going to do the right thing and forgive. But I believe Paul is actually willing to pay whatever is owed to Philemon. Whatever the price of his slavery was, maybe it's 50000 Whatever the price of what he stole was, maybe it's 25000 I really believe Paul's saying, I don't know how I'll do it, but if that's what, what I've got to do, I'll pay the debt. 
Why do I believe that? Well, in verse 19, he stops, he stops his secretary. So thus far, Luke or somebody else has been writing the letter, all right? So, so verse 18, he writes, if you consider me your partner, so his secretary is writing it, Paul is speaking it, he's, he's, he's dictating it to him, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So Luke writes, charge that to my account, and Paul stops him and says, give me the pen. Now, remember Paul had an eye disease, some kind of problem with his eyes. He talked about that in some of his letters. He's an old man at this time. Maybe his hands were shaky. But he grabs the pen himself, and he writes, verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. You see, I think he's saying, I'll I'll actually do this. In order to bring two brothers to reconciliation, I will pay the debt. That may seem incredibly strange to you that anybody would do that, but I've seen that happen. I've I've seen that happen. I I, I saw two Christian brothers that were at odds. There was a a terrible offense that that happened, and it was a difficult situation, kind of like slavery. It was one of those complicated situations. And so you've got two brothers, and you've got this bad offense in between them. And I saw another brother who had nothing to do with the situation. Not one tie to it, not one connection to it. But I saw another brother step in and say, I love you both, and I want you to be reconciled. And I don't want there to be any offense. And so, I will pay it. And he did. I think, that, I think Paul's saying he's willing to do that. Okay, but then verse 19 goes on a little bit more. Now, thus far, Paul's done a wonderful job of coming in. What's an appeal? Coming in, putting his arm around these guys and saying, all right, guys, I'm going to appeal to you. I'm going I'm to encourage you. I'm going to exhort you with the gospel that you would do the right thing here, that you would do the hard thing, that you would forgive, that you would make this right. This is the first time in the letter, I think, he gets a little bit sharp, okay? And sometimes we need that, all right? Maybe I'm reading into it, but look, look at the end of verse 19. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay. And then he says this, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. That's one of those daggers, isn't it? You know what happens when, when someone does something to us? We get really hyper-focused on what is owed to us, don't we? Like, that's all I can see, you know, is that you did that or you didn't do that and you owe me. What I think we need to hear is exactly what Paul says to Philemon. Philemon, did Onesimus steal from him? Yep. Is he out 75 grand or something like that? Yep. Was he betrayed? Yep. Was his family hurt by this? Probably. But but what Paul says to him right there at the end is what we really need to hear. You owe people as well. Okay? See, we don't like like to think that. We like to think, no, no, no. You know, I've I've covered all my debt. No, you have not. First of all, you owe Jesus your life and your eternity. You, You can't ever get out from that. You will never get out from that. I don't care how much you do for him. That is, you, you can't, actually. Again, if you're trying, then you're lost. 
You, you owe a debt to Jesus you will never pay. He has paid it all. If you're a believer in here today, you're a debtor. You've got an enormous debt that Jesus has paid. Okay, so we should not walk around acting like we owe no one nothing. But Paul takes it a step further. He says, not only do you owe Jesus, you owe a debt to other people. Paul came into Laodicea with the gospel. They were living in darkness. They were living without Christ. They were headed to hell. And Paul, through imprisonment, through beatings, through sleepless nights, through shipwreck, through trial and tragedy and giving his own life, brought the gospel to these people, to Philemon. And Paul is reminding him of that. You see, whenever, whenever someone's hurt us, we get, we get all riled up about what's owed us. And it, it's really good for us to step back and remember that we not be so vehement about everybody paying up, you know? I mean, isn't it a little bit of a hypocritical thing to do? To slam our fist down and say, pay up, when I can't do the same thing. Now, interesting. The gospel's right. Isn't the gospel all over this? Treat him as you would me, substitutionary atonement. You know, Paul's taking his place. Put it on my account. Look at what God's doing through the offense. I mean, the gospel's all over this. And so, how's it going to end? How's the gospel end? Here, look at this, 21, 22. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. He really knows this guy's heart. He, he, he knows Philemon will be obedient to the Holy Spirit. He'll do what God has called him to do. 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. How's this letter end? I'm coming soon. Huh? Isn't that cool? I'm coming soon. A little bit of accountability there, isn't there? You know, hey, get this deal right, because we're here shortly... Paul says, I hope to be out, and I'm coming straight to Colossae. And I'll get a room ready because I'm staying. And guess what? At breakfast time, it's going to be Philemon, Paul, Onesimus, right? We're all going to be together. So get this worked out. Well, guess what? Jesus is coming soon. Did you, did you know that? I think you did. If you're a believer, I bet you did. He's coming. And guess what he said? He said, all us believers, we're, we're all going to be together forever. And so, get this deal worked out. I think that's, that's the picture there, isn't it? I think you're probably going to be in one of three categories today. You're going to be in category number one, whereas you're still trying to earn your way to God. You're still, you're still you, don't, you don't believe the gospel. Your whole world revolves around being a good person, being a good guy, being a good gal. And, and you really have not embraced the gospel. Man, what I would encourage you is, is this picture that we just walked through. That the way that you can be right with God, and there's only one, and that is to receive what Jesus Christ has done for you, that he paid your debt, that he, he paid for your sins. And that if you're joined to him, then God looks upon you seeing Jesus. He treats you as he treats Jesus. Number two, maybe you have embraced the gospel. All right, 
for those of us who've embraced the gospel, we need to live the gospel, okay? So we can't be the kind of people that say, Jesus paid it all, but I'm making you pay, okay? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't mesh. We can't be those people. If we really love the gospel and cherish the gospel, if we stand up here and sing because we have been redeemed, then we need to be the kind of people who will live that out in real life. Or maybe number three, maybe you're in the category of people and you got, you got a mess going on. Maybe in your family, maybe at work, maybe in your small group, maybe with your kids. And, and you really need to skillfully, prayerfully learn to come alongside. You need to learn to make a biblical, gospel-centered appeal to say, hey, I know who you are in Christ I know what God's done. I've seen God working in your life, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God would get a hold of your heart and that you would, you would do the Christ-like thing here and that you would put that person's debt on Christ's account or on my account. I'll pay it. And you need to be reconciled with your brother. Boy, how sweet of work that is. And I want you to do it. Father, thank you for this beautiful book, this beautiful letter of reconciliation and forgiveness and restoration and gospel. God, I pray that we would live that out, that that our lives would be a picture of the glorious gospel that we believe. Father, give us skill, give us wisdom in that. In Jesus' name.